Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home an auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. Mr. President, up here! I voted for you! Wait a minute. That guy on the grassy knoll's got a gun! He's gonna shoot the president! Holy smokes, I've gotta do something! All right, Lee, time to become an American hero. <laughs> Darkmyths.org and Neopolis Media Group proudly present to you the Lone Gunman Podcast, featuring your host, Rob Clark, where research comes to shine and myths come to die. Stay tuned. Be right there. Since Judith Very Baker came out with her story about a romantic affair with Lee Harvey Oswald, people all over the country have tried to substantiate or disprove her claims. In 2003, her story aired on the History Channel, gaining a larger platform for her story and attracting even more people to dig deeper, looking for solid answers. As we told you in our last broadcast, we cannot independently confirm that she and Lee Harvey Oswald had an intimate relationship with one another. But we can trace them back to the same room, working at the same place at the same time, over 50 years ago. Now, Baker's critics question her backstory, but they completely deny her account of what happened leading up to President Kennedy's assassination. So where do the two sides clash? Where are they different? In one of her books, The Men Who Killed Kennedy, she introduces a long list of characters who she says were all involved in the plot to kill the president. But only after... They were involved in a separate, failed attempt to kill Cuban dictator Fidel Castro. That's right. She claims she developed this sort of cancerous cocktail that Oswald would later take and administer to Castro, all part of an undercover operation. Then, because something allegedly went wrong, Baker claims the powers in charge at the time, they changed the playbook. A complete 180. Now, instead, they're going to take out President Kennedy with the same concoction. But then another change-up came from the higher-ups. They decided to just go ahead and shoot Kennedy instead. That's the Kennedy assassination, according to Judith Very Baker. And coincidentally, she happened to know not just Lee Harvey Oswald himself. She also claims to have known Jack Ruby, Carlos Marcello, Guy Bannister, David Ferry, pretty much any villain that you can find from the New Orleans conspiracy scene. Baker claims she knew them personally. Her critics find that hard to believe. In fact, the political science department at Marquette University took Baker's book and followed up on her stories, her references, her sources. All the people she talked to or mentioned in the book, they did too. Or they found someone who did. When they added it all up, nearly every single source countered or disputed Baker's version of what happened. And yet all these years later, Judith Very Baker continues to hide from the CIA, or so she says. 
She says that she left America to escape government persecution. She spent time in the Netherlands, Hungary, even Sweden. And she says had she stayed in the U.S., she would surely have met the same demise as Lee Harvey Oswald himself. So what do we make of all of this? Is Baker lying? Why go to all the trouble to live abroad all this time later? She swears her only motive is to exonerate her former lover. But along the way, she didn't turn down any offers to profit from her story. In fact, she once tried to sell her story to New York publishers for $1 million. Her sales pitch, like her plot, was full of holes. At the very best, the evidence hints that maybe Baker's account is nothing more than a tawdry tale of two young 20-somethings messing around behind their spouse's backs. At the worst, Baker recognized her vague association in a timeline to Lee Harvey Oswald from New Orleans and saw that as an opportunity to retell the story and squeeze every last dime out of it. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode number 130 of the Lone Gummin Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Clark. And returning to the show today, my good friend, author of the book, Two Princes and a King, and founder of Neapolis Media Group. That's right. Carmine Savastano comes back to the show. What's up, Carmine? How you doing, man? Good to be back. Doing pretty good. You know, it's a nice, uh, nice warm November day. Uh, nice and sunny. And <laughs> It is actually fairly, it's in the 60s up here too. So, And that's pretty rare for Michigan in November, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Normally you're sitting there chitter-chattering with the frost hanging off your nose. <laughs> yeah, winter's coming, but, you know, it's it's been – the weather's holding off so far. <laughs> well, you know what else is coming? Lancer Conference in a couple weeks where you are going to be a-talking, right? Yeah, I'll be uh, speaking at the JFK Lancer Conference. It's the 2016 uh, November in Dallas Conference, and it's going to be at the Adolphus Hotel. And I'm going to be speaking on November 20th at 9.30 in the morning. Uh, I'm going to be the last speaker. Awesome. And, uh, well, it's sold out, so if you haven't got your tickets yet, you are SOL, people. <laughs> but I think they're going to be taping it, so I'm definitely yeah. going to ask uh, Miss Conway if I can get a copy of the, the tape and... Yeah, so, you know, that, I can post yeah. it for everybody to have a look at it. Yeah, for sure. Because, you know, and I think that's something they should do anyway is put put a lot of these things up on uh, YouTube or, or somewhere like that where they can make it accessible to all these uh, speakers. You know, not just people that were fortunate enough to make it to Dallas, you know, to hear it in person. But, you know, all the all, every, all those presentations should be preserved for, you know, perpetuity. Posterity. Yeah, posterity, yeah. whatever you want to call it. I knew it was a P word. <laughs> Perpetuity P- works too forever. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of P words, uh, <laughs> all right. Everybody heard the show last week. It, you know, episode one twenty nine, where I had to come on here and defend myself from the harassment of one Judith Very Baker. Now, you know, I tried to maintain a level head and, uh, you know, address everything in a nice professional manner. And it's been a while since we've addressed actually the claims of Judith Baker on this show. Uh, it's been almost two years. So I figured, you know what, it's time to remind everybody out there just why this woman is not credible. You know, 
we talk all the time about myth makers and storytellers and the need of evidence to back up what you're saying. Now, what's great is when we can catch people in lies. And that's what it boils boils down to. Now, we're going to be talking about some of that today where we can point out what Judith Baker has claimed and what is actually in the official record in the documents. And we're going to see that a lot of it just doesn't match up. Isn't that right, Carmine? Yes. Yeah, there are definite holes in many of her stories. Yeah, you know, I always thought, okay, you know, 50... Look, I can't remember what I did last week and who I talked to and what he, what we even talked about, you know, and for someone to, to think back, you know, 30, 40, 50 years and remember very clearly conversations and specific days and, and, you know, where you were and who else was there and what exactly you talked about enough to even actually quote somebody in your book. Um, because when you quote somebody, you're kind of saying, okay, this is exactly what they said, which is a very hard thing to do when you're remembering something from 40 or 50 years ago. And of course, we weren't there. So we, you know, we can't just say, oh, no, they didn't say it like that. Because, you know, well, supposedly she has a, what is it, a didactic memory or a photographic memory. Uh, you know, but I. Well, even even if she, you know, possessed, as some people would call a perfect memory, memories are like ice. Every time we access a memory and it goes away back into our subconscious, the memory melts a little bit. So when it comes back, it's a little bit different than it was originally. And then the more time that between the first memory and when you access the memory, the more times that can happen, so thus the more changes that can happen. I think witness testimony can be very useful and it can be reliable if it's gathered shortly after the event occurs. And even then, there still can be problems and people disagreeing with each other about stuff that, you know, we've, we've even heard of people saying that they saw the Kennedy assassination live on TV and that never happened. Right. So, so there's definitely room for mistakes and to claim that you can access any memory throughout your life perfectly and we're going to see later on as we go through some of the evidence and some of the things she's claimed some of the problems with that claim yeah so you know of course we can't go through her book page by page and day by day and well i, I did a little right. yeah yeah but not for all of it i'm saying it would be a no, herculean no, task <laughs> it would be a herculean task it, it, it hurt already going through just the pages i did <laughs> yeah yeah so let's take a look at uh, we'll call them Baker claims Baker claim number one, where she asserted meeting Oswald in her book, me and Lee uh, on pages one thirteen through one sixteen. Okay. You want to start with Baker claim number one? Let's start with Baker claim number one. Okay. I have a little bit of an introduction, just some, some uh, notes and ideas I wanted to share with everybody and then I'll get oh, right sure. into Baker claim number one. So, as Rob was saying, most ideas can be supported or dispelled based on evidence and reasonable investigation. Yet, some do not seek to convince, but to demand adherence to their various beliefs, and those who do not face overly dramatic and repeated social media confrontations, if you don't believe. Among the most improbable claims are those of Judith Baker. For those who have never heard of Baker, she is a woman that evidence verified lived in New Orleans and was employed by Riley Coffee Company during the period that Oswald was. Yet that is the extent of her central claims supported by primary evidence. Uh, it's not just her stories that can attract the attention of some, but also her and her minions' attacks on researchers, historians, activists, and witnesses. 
Miss Baker often attempts to construct her stories of a huge conspiracy bent on quieting her by officials and anyone who does not accept her imaginings. Her most recent attempts to stifle dissent towards her myth led her to claiming she is able to decide who is and who is not a researcher. Similar to her other unproven claim, her opinion of what a researcher is not based on its actual definition. The Cambridge Business Dictionary states a researcher is someone whose job is to study a subject carefully, especially in order to discover new information or understand the subject better. I'd say you qualify, Rob. <laughs> yes. Yes. And, and, and one good thing is I'm a researcher that happens to have a radio show. And when you poke the bear and the bear pokes back and everybody can hear it, you know, it's it's our right as researchers into the Kennedy assassination to look at various claims made by different people who claim to be part of the, you know, assassination lore or the story. Mm -hmm. That's our right. You know, yeah, if, if, if we make we a claim and they can't prove it, then it's our, it falls on us to take a look at things like we're going to do today and either uh, come to the conclusion that it's credible or not credible. And a lot of the stuff that Judith has asserted throughout the years has been deemed not credible. And I forgot to mention this in my show, yes, uh, the last show, but, you know, when you stop and think about it, people out there, okay, when you think of all the great JFK researchers that have come and gone and are still alive today, how many of these great, credible JFK researchers, and I'm talking about the heavy hitters, okay, not the kooky, not the kook squad, like Fetzer and all these guys, I'm talking about the heavy hitters, legitimate researchers who actually believe Judith's story. None. Yeah. None. Yeah. And there's a reason for that, people. Because she's not credible. And these are people that are far above my pay grade when it comes to research. You know, um, that have access to documents that, that, that know things. I mean, they're very, very credible people. You know, you don't yeah. have to just believe what we're saying. I mean, there's... Exactly. No, people should check out what everyone says. And yeah. we're not saying that our version and the evidence we offer is all the evidence ever known, and it's not definitive. It's just the substantial evidence we've gathered we're offering to you to have a look. The problem with Baker and her people is they demand that what they're saying is definitive with no evidence. Right. Yeah, and for and for people that just blindly believe that, they're, they, they qualify as suckers. You know, like, like you know, they were the – Back in the, back in the day at the Barlow and ba Bailey Circus, people that got to come in there and pay a nickel to look at their two-headed crocodile are suckers. Well, and Baker, she repeatedly claims being a living witness to the JFK case. However, she obviously has not consulted the definition of a witness either. <laughs> yeah. A full definition of witness is defined by Merriam Webster as attestation of a factor event testimony, one that gives evidence specifically who testifies in a cause or before a judicial tribunal. <laughs> Since Baker has never legally presented anything with substantial evidence, I challenge her claim to being a witness in this case. And that's a good point. And, and to illustrate that point perfectly, let's speak for a second about her, her book and the footnotes, the citations. Sure. Now, uh, you, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. Uh, Yes, so Judith Baker um, put out – when we were having a discussion online, it was some researchers and uh, Judith Baker were talking online. People started to question uh, uh, Zachary Gendro, Trish Fleming, uh, 
Matthew Shuffley, me, you, Rob, you know, a bunch of people were questioning the things that were in her book that had no verifiable citations. And Baker's response to the questioning about that was that the citations were taken out of her book by the publisher, Trine Day, or the editors, and it wasn't her fault that she had submitted all of them, but they weren't there. They're not in the book, so thus they don't prove anything. They're just personal notes that she claims are her view of what happened and thus should be regarded. Right. You know, and there's several instances in the official record where Oswald is accounted for in the timeline of events from, I would say, you know, from the time he got out of the Marine Corps to the time of the assassination. You know, we pretty much know what he was doing every day. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, there's some. Yeah, I agree. There's there's a few spaces that are harder to nail down, and that's usually where she tries to insert herself are in the spaces that people don't know what happened during a certain portion. So that's what she'll um, – but to quote the uh, her statement for the citations, as for citations in the book Me and Lee, many comments in the end notes are just that, personal notes and comments. I agree that they should have included citations. However, I supplied citations to the editors, and they will be happy to pro and will be happy to provide them here in case you believe I misquoted anyone. I'll make a new post so that nobody will miss it. She never did post. And that was over 10 months ago. I'm not hopeful of any response coming. <laughs> yeah, no. And, and, and we're not just saying this because we actually have a screenshot of her claiming that she will provide the citations for her book, Me and Lee. And she never has. So we have it in her own words, typed by her own hand, that she would provide it to researchers and she has not. To be honest, it, I, there's no reason. It'd just be a waste of time. She wouldn't give us anything verifiable. No, no. That, She'd probably just give us a bunch of yeah, Wikipedia quotes and, you know, just trying to attach herself to various things. <laughs> yeah. And I speak from experience as well. Uh, I'll, I'll go into that later. But I, like Rob, have dealt with Ms. Baker and her people. <laughs> yeah, and they're, 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 they're downright nasty. If you don't buy into what she's saying, you know, then you are the enemy. If you question her or her story, you are the enemy. In order to be pulled into the flock and the fold, you must, you know, totally buy into what she's selling and totally believe her story without questioning her. That is the only way you are in. And that requires you to believe some of the following. Fairy tales. Among, <laughs> yeah. Among Baker's wholly unlikely claims are that she personally knew Lee Harvey Oswald, David Ferry, Clay Shaw, Guy Bannister, Jack Ruby, and Carlos Marcello. Now, for those that don't know, Oswald, of course, is the accused assassin of President Kennedy. David Ferry is a suspect of Jim Garrison in New Orleans. Clay Shaw was a Garrison suspect as well. Guy Bannister was a Garrison suspect as well. Jack Ruby was the man who killed Lee Harvey Oswald. And Carlos Marcello was the, basically the Don of Louisiana. He was the mafia leader of Louisiana. Yeah, we, she also stated that she knew Alton Oxner, Mary Sherman, uh, Dean Andrews. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. And she has absolutely no verifiable evidence to prove these claims. None of these people ever mentions her publicly. She never appears in Oswald's personal writings, unlike every other girlfriend Oswald had, even those in the Soviet Union. Right. Now, what she will tell you is that, is that she had protection because they were, you know, so worried about getting this poor young girl involved in this whole sad saga. 
which is, for lack of a better Ridiculous. term, bullshit. <laughs> so, I mean, to think that all these people, you know, would not mention her when she supposedly is the is the linchpin in this whole cancer, uh, fast acting cancer virus, is just ridiculous yeah all she offers are claims and vegas items that she asserts oswald center gave to her like a green glass that anybody could have bought at any garage sale anywhere if she wants to impress us have the glass dusted for prints and show that oswald handled it yeah or a pair of flip-flops you know scrape his his nasty foot fungus dna heal dna off of him and prove it exactly okay but a pair of flip-flops is not evidence of anything Whatsoever, neither are vaguely Except, veiled notes that have code words in them, and this—it's just horseshit. Yeah, among the among some of the other things she tries to claim that are evidence, which aren't, are sentimental letters she attributes to Oswald, but they have the sender information ripped off the paper. Yeah. So there's so there's no proof. It doesn't yeah. prove anything. <laughs> uh, among Baker's claims regarding a huge improbable conspiracy against her, it includes a vast array of continuous internet attacks. Which is ironic, considering what your last show covered. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> she, uh, you know, and not just—it's not just me that gets attacked. I mean, this woman, this this grandmotherly seventy-three-year-old woman, felt the need to, to drag and belittle uh, Greg Parker's children on the internet in public. It's just ridiculous. I mean, what this the, the links that this woman will go to and stoop to, you know. Yet, yet, you know, she wants to point to to, to Greg Parker's second book and and pull citations out of that of things, uh, his great research that he did. But since he doesn't buy her story, you know, it's it's just constant constant barrage of of just wrecking folks. You know, I mean. <sighs> She, yeah, she, she even had a Facebook page dedicated to um, destroying, you know, Harvey and Lee and and, and John Armstrong's work and uh, David Joseph's work, and it's just and that you know, I don't I don't know if that page still exists, but it was out there. Yeah, and but she often likes to portray herself as a victim, so. She states in she states in her blog, her me and Lee blog, over three hundred thousand references using my name by this time were on the internet. I had also published poetry, was a professional artist, and had published short stories and writings, and had participated in news groups. One important, my note yet nameless, website crashed and lost hundreds of posts and supporting statements. When it was restored, all the posts but mine had been saved. She claims the second news group collected about a hundred of my posts, suddenly erased them all. A my note nameless webmaster of some very large unidentified websites that attacked me personally on the internet was also the moderator of an important news group. In 2008, this nameless moderator erased 250,000 news group references to my name. There's no proof for any of this, just her claims. You know, she often claims being hounded and has claimed for years she has been harassed, threatened, robbed, burglarized, hit on the head. Regarding that instance, Baker additionally stated, when I opened the trunk of my car with groceries, the trunk was slammed down on my head. I was knocked unconscious. No, they didn't take the car, just my purse, but I had to go to the hospital for a concussion. Now, that sounds like a robbery to me. <laughs> yeah. Not dark forces seeking to harm Judith Baker. And, of course, there was the uh, the attempted murder where somebody was uh, sprinkled glass in her 
food? Uh, chunks of glass when they showed the thing. It was like, it, it, yeah, <laughs> so ridiculous. <laughs> and look, you know, that happens sometimes in restaurants. There are glasses in restaurants that do break on accident glass. Will, you know, it's not it's not out of the realm of possibility. It's not, if if people are trying to kill you, they're not going to use that method. I mean, what, not what big chunks do? of glass. Eat the no. glass. Make your mouth bleed. I mean, seriously. So she ever attempts to connect what can be explained with normal investigation to mythical proportions. You know, she asserted having her brake lines severed, receiving death threats, assassination attempts, and that crazy people persecute her and open her mail, and she cannot get a job in the U.S. because of her infamy. She asserts constantly having to be on the move overseas to avoid harm. Yet, she's hosting a large event in Dallas this year and has been advertising it for months. The question is, if you are truly in fear of your life, do you tell the world via social media where you'll be located for days in a supposed hostile location? Uh, no, you don't. And you don't hold your conference in D.C. either, where you're 30 minutes or less from all the giant alphabet agencies who supposedly that A, what recruited you and you worked for, um, and now you're telling all their secrets, um, you know, or B, you know, the FBI and the Justice Department who can come after you because you've admitted to actually murdering people and conspiring to murder people and uh, having information that the president was going to be killed and doing nothing about it, which is equal to treason. Yet they don't bother her at all. Well, because they realize that she, like a lot of other people throughout history that we've discussed on some of the myth shows and on your show. Don't have any crazy? proof. <laughs> That's one way to put it. They don't have any proof. <laughs> well, exactly. Well, I mean, she could. They could use her own words against her. Yeah, but it's not worth it. It'd be a waste of time. Right. You know, she offers her view, lacking substantial proof about nearly everything, from incomplete medical advice to what she calls poetry. Since emerging in the 1990s, she has not offered any evidence that could be dangerous to the government that is verifiable. She is unaware that any competent, nefarious plot does not include injuring and inconveniencing people, but killing them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we have evidence that we've gone over on this show of actual assassination plots and techniques. They, do op they don't operate in the haphazard style that Baker claims. No. And, They're and small. And you, and you know, the you know the internet's a crazy thing. You can find all kinds of stuff out about people on the internet. You know, I, I've run across things where there's websites out there that, that, that Judith claims to have been a dog breeder of, of some kind of a American cream dog. There's, there's addresses for Florida. Um, I've run across, uh, several reviews of books on Amazon under aliases of hers um, that she's done. I know she teached at a, at a, at a or taught at a university in uh, Louisiana for a time under an alias. Um, you know, there's, there's a, just a mountain of things out there, you know, and if somebody would want to pay, <laughs> you know, the $10 or whatever to join Spokio for a month, they could get a lot, a lot of information about somebody. And, you know, maybe the truth, the actual, the real truth might come out. 
about who's, uh, you know, behind all these websites and, and, and funding, uh, funding her. But that's just me throwing that out there. <laughs> well, and <clears throat> I think that's something that we have to consider is what rational researchers do is they present evidence, they give their ideas about it, they present what facts they can from it, and then they give it to the public and we discuss it. And some things are right and some things could be wrong. And, you know, once it's been churned through the public, you find out what's really useful in it and that's how it works. Well, with Judith's people, they don't have any evidence. So there is nothing to offer people. So all they can do to defend her claims is seek to undermine the credibility of those who disagree. That's their only defense. It's all they can do. Yeah. You know, they, they can't they, – they have nowhere to – they're cornered. So all they can do is attack because they really can't defend anything they're saying. So you know that, that's precisely the problem with JVB and her myth-making ilk. They demand the world of everyone else. They demand we read her book. And I've read them both, and you're not missing anything. It's a romance novel mixed with unproven ideas about the JFK case. <laughs> that's all it is, both of them. You know, they demand we should be suspend reasonable inquiry to buy into their limitless assertions. They claim only strict observation of their unproven ideas will solve this case, and they shun evidence that proves they're in error and only accepts that which assists their beliefs. So in exchange for this mindless service to their cause, and of course regular donations, you can bask in their infantile dreck that they present as truth. When Baker is called to account for the many proven myths in her book, she claims it's editorial mistakes. She promises the required sources, yet the day never comes because there likely are no sources to produce. They're like so many other claims, a seeming figment of her overactive imagination. So on your last show, Rob, you covered their tactics and the fact that they attempt rather childishly to impugn anyone that they do not like who has evidence. Yet I doubt the audience might be aware just uh, the people – just, you know, the many people that just we know about who have been attacked in some of these cases. You know, you already mentioned Greg Parker encountering JBB and her group. And I can recall online harassment attempts to assassinate the character of those not buying into her current selection of myths. You know, they, they'll claim you're a disinformation agent. They'll claim you're a government employee. They'll claim you're a member of the CIA or the FBI, which I think is utterly hilarious in some of our cases because of how much neither of those two organizations would ever want to talk to us. Right. <laughs> in fact, they'd like us to be very quiet. <laughs> yeah, and I live I live real close <laughs> to both of them. Uh, nothing. I mean, the FBI just op just put their warehouse where I live in Winchester, Virginia. I'm like, if you if you send a FOIA request to the FBI, you're sending it to Winchester, Virginia. They just Seriously, uh, these warehouses are freaking huge. Yeah. So, it, you know, if they want to talk to me, I'm right here, you know. But trust me, I'm not getting no paychecks from the FBI or the CIA. Now, I would I would say go look at somebody like Fetzer and them clowns over there, you know, who are purposely putting out misinformation and who claim to be the j greatest JFK researchers alive in the world today. And everything they put forth is a freaking joke. That's and that's always, a, that's always a good sign to know that someone might be not credible is when they claim that they're the greatest JFK researcher of all time. <laughs> Anybody that claims that they're the best of all time isn't because no. the best of all time would never need to claim that. Well, I don't think they're individually claiming it, but Gary King likes to praise oh, them as I, such. 
Yeah. Oh, I guarantee you. No, well, yeah, you're right. Maybe not there. Can't, can't the other... you lying today, yeah. Mr. Larry oh, I... Rivera. <laughs> yeah, I, I guarantee you. <laughs> <laughs> and Jim so... Tutter, the greatest 9-11 JK researcher alive today. <laughs> Welcome so... back to the show, everybody. Oh, I think sorry. it's too additionally laughable <laughs> that such groups, that they target people without evidence, you know? And it's like among the researchers and historians and activists, both living and dead, that I can think of right now that I've observed mistreated while present online or in screenshots by JVB or her minions would include uh, researcher and host Rob Clark, <laughs> researcher Steve Rowe, photographic analyst and researcher Zachary Gendro, financial manager and researcher Glenn Veikland, researcher Charles Cliff. Researcher Trish Fleming Gendro, historian Matthew Shuffley, researcher Frankie Vegas, researcher F.J. James, author and researcher David Lifton, researcher and former Sixth Floor Museum curator Gary Mack, researcher and historian Mary Farrell, researcher Stephen Roy, researcher and creator of JFK Lancer Deborah Conway, researcher and radio host Chuck Cacelli, researcher Barb Junkarian, educator and researcher Joan Mellon, and myself. <laughs> That's a hell of a list. And that's just seriously off. That's just the ones I remember. I'm sure there's been dozens of other attacks on people that I didn't name, you know, or people who've had to deal with her over the years. I know you've seen some. Well, yeah. I mean, you could throw McAdams and all them cats, cats, Dave Wrightsies and all them guys in there too. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. But yeah, they attack both sides. They, they, <laughs> if you disagree, it doesn't matter how much evidence you have, no matter what side you're on, you're getting attacked. For sure. I mean, <laughs> so all right. Let's let's wrap her okay, up. Yeah, we we got. <laughs> Sorry, the intro kind of went off. It's okay. In a few directions. Let's, okay. Let's prove what we're saying now. Okay. Now, so yeah, we must consider what is more likely. All these people from contending sides of the case would not come to heel for JVB's myth, or they are part of a huge conspiracy without evidence to stifle the useless information that Baker and her supporters are declaring. None of which has ever been of significant importance to the case. So I personally, I'm happy that Baker keeps adding to her myths because it gives those of us concerned with evidence and new opportunities to debunk her claims. That's the silver lining. Now, uh, Baker claim one. <laughs> Asserted meeting of Oswald, me and Lee, Judith Very Baker, Trine Day, page 113 to 116. So Baker's claims that... In the book, Me and Lee, they met in line at the post office in New Orleans. She claims that they walked several blocks from the post office and spent over an hour in a park nearby. This would be the day she claims she met Oswald, which is April 26th, I believe. Let's make sure. Yes, April 26th, 1963, the day that she claims of Me and Lee that she met Oswald. Unfortunately... <laughs> For Baker, Oswald's recorded activities would feasibly have kept him too busy to visit a post office and hang out in a park. First, there's not a single verified witness who made a legal statement to corroborate her claim. Oswald himself never mentions Baker, just as the many other infamous people she claims association with never mention her. On April 26th, Lee Harvey Oswald, according to the documents has begun an employment search in New Orleans. 
He went to the Department of Labor and stated being qualified for various positions. Oswald spent time going over a few referrals officials made, and they note he relied primarily upon newspaper advertisements and applied for a number of positions. So there you go. Are you there? Yeah, I was okay. going to say what's more. Yeah, I was going to say what's more likely. Our, uh, you know, that Oswald went where we can verify he was at the Department of Labor looking for a job. Yeah, I mean, and of course he, he was at. You say he was at the Moretz house, right? Yeah, he was staying with the Moretz. And what was it? His cousin is the one who said said this. Oh no! This is uh, a form. Uh, the first is from a House Select Committee document. It's a segregated CIA file, and it's a timeline of Oswald. It's a chronology per the commission. So it's basically all of the evidence that a lot of it didn't necessarily go into the commission, but it's how they found out what he was doing on certain days. And this is sort of a day-by-day -day breakdown. Gotcha. Okay, I'm looking at it now. Yeah, when Oswald arrived at the bus station, he telephoned his aunt. Well, that's the 24th. Yeah. Okay. So, yes, 26th. Yeah, when Oswald began his search for employment, he went to the employment office of the Louisiana Department of Labor. And he stated that he was qualified as a commercial photographer, shipping clerk, or darkroom man. Although the Employment Commission made a few referrals, Oswald relied primarily upon newspaper advertisements and applied for a number of positions. So he was actively looking for a job on this day. Why would he be at the post office? Yeah, and then why would he go and waste an hour in the park? Yeah. It just it, it doesn't make sense what, no. what she's claiming would take him. And another reason is, yeah, why is he going to a post office? He's only been in town for two days. He hasn't yet even set up his own living arrangements. There'd be no reason he, you know, he gets a call from Morena on the phone at the Moretz. There's no reason for him to go to the post office to send a letter to anyone. Now, were they still staying at the Moretz? Uh, he... No. After five days, he got out, and then he found the uh, apartment, I believe, on Magazine Street. Right. But on, here it says, on April 24th, when Oswald arrived at the bus station in New Orleans, he telephoned his aunt to ask if he could stay at her home Yeah. while he looked for employment. So this yeah. would be two days later, so he would have still been staying at the Moretz. When yeah, he, he stayed there. Mm -hmm. When he allegedly met Judith, right? Yeah. In fact, she claims later on in some of the stuff we're going to talk about that whenever he'd go to the Moretz, he made her wait outside a downaway at a neighbor's house, which, again, makes no sense. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to bring your mistress to hang out down the street from your aunt's house where someone might see her. Around here, we call, that, we call that sad piece. <laughs> Yes. Yes. <laughs> so I've heard some vernaculars refer to it as such. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. It's it's just you know the beginning of her claims that there's no proof of, and that don't make sense according to what we actually know that he was doing. And on that day, you know, there is actually sometimes she can try to put her myth in, but. I, I think that that makes it a, a lot less likely. And then as the days go on, it gets harder and harder. And I don't think that they ever considered what the evidence states in comparison to what they're claiming. So Baker claimed two. She asserts Oswald meeting her early in the morning 
and spending the day with him on April 27th. She claims he conf confessed he was assigned to kill Fidel Castro. This is the so this allegedly secret assassin blurted out his secret plans to a teenage girl the second time they met, according to Baker. Right. <laughs> yeah, this yeah. is highly improbable. <laughs> Yet he never told his wife. Yeah, or his mother, right. or anybody that he loved his entire life, or his CIA connected cousin. Yeah. Right. Okay. Supposedly. Right. So this is highly improbable and not supported by evidence. You know, she further claims that Oswald borrowed his cousin's car to help her move into a boarding house. But his family never mentions lending him a car on that occasion. They do lend him a car later on and they give him a ride. But. Yeah, I don't think he had a driver's license. No, he didn't. She Baker actually tried to claim later that he got rid of his license to hide it because he thought that the highway patrol would be, you know, just some ridiculous line. That uh, wasn't the reason. He just didn't have a driver's license. <laughs> yeah, and supposedly, at least from Ruth Payne, I mean, he couldn't drive with a shit. Yeah, so that's why his cousin or his uncle would have to drive him. <laughs> they boy. might have mentioned that they drove him with some woman that they had never seen before. Right. I mean, and look, the Marantz are not the only people in New Orleans that Lee Oswald knew. I'm sure he had friends with cars. Um, people that he knew, uh, you know, if he knew Ferry, Ferry had a car, you know, and on and on and on. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. So going off of continuing what her claim is, she states that Oswald brought her to his family's home, but had her wait outside. No verifiable witness supports that. She claims that Oswald was assisting his uncle's bookie business for Carlos Marcello. Again, he has been in town for less than a week. Is it feasible that mafia a mafia don would enlist a bookie's recently arrived, untested, and unemployed nephew for a cash delivery? No, it's not. No, you're right. <laughs> and then you add to the unlikely scenario, he decides his recently met companion should tag along. So more witnesses. The entire idea is ridiculous. <laughs> Men like Marcello would not risk losing money so a recently arrived relative of a bookie and his girlfriend could run errands for him. No, that's just ridiculous on his face. But that's what she claims. <laughs> of course. You know, despite the mafia being based on keeping secrets from anyone who hasn't trusted. Unbelievable. Yeah. So, you know, its leaders would not needlessly risk official attention by directly using a former defector noted by the press. Right. Yeah, I mean, this guy just got back from Russia. I mean, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, okay, so <laughs> that's the. Now we have Baker claim three. <laughs> uh, Baker asserted that Sunday, April 28th, she went with Oswald around town attempting to locate his father's grave. During the claim, she purports that Oswald admits to beating his wife. This would be another unlikely confession from a man who knew her less than three days. Right. <laughs> she then attempts to credit herself for inspiring Oswald to change. <laughs> she claimed, yeah, <laughs> she claimed he left her only for an hour and returned to venture to a party being held at David Ferry's house. After her many party related claims that I believe we covered in the Goldfinger episode. <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> 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 she, 
<laughs> no, Mr. Bond. I expect you to die. Okay. So Baker then claims that her and Oswald were together until early Monday morning, a few hours before she would begin work at the restaurant she was employed at. That's me and Lee, page 149 to 168. However, on Sunday, April 28th, the evidence shows us that Oswald was at the Moret home making phone calls seeking employment. Oswald's aunt, a verified legal witness, noted he spent time making multiple calls and looking over the newspaper classifieds. Oswald's first noted job prospect for the day was a local printer that he located in the newspaper. He called the possible employer twice at different times of the day, but failed to obtain the job due to a lack of required lettering skills. Moret also states, Oswald remained at home during the time he was not job hunting. Right. So there this would con- that. Yeah, this would contend Baker's claims of spending nearly the entire day with him. And her later claims that the Riley Coffee job was important as a cover job because it wasn't as even his first choice. If it were important to him, he likely would not spend days seeking other jobs. Right, he would have been told, hey, we got you a job at Riley Coffee. Report on this day. Mm-hmm. That's how it's usually done. <sighs> Not, hey, good luck on your own finding our CIA cover job for yourself. Maybe exactly. you'll across it. <laughs> yeah, just apply to everything in the city, and hopefully you hit it. Yeah, ridiculous. Oh, but there was a code word in, in the uh, classified ad in the newspaper. But if that were true, then he just would have called Riley. Well, maybe he, maybe Judy had to tell him what the, what the code words were, and uh... <laughs> so I think we can we can easily demonstrate that Baker's timeline does not fit with the evidence. Since he made two calls to the employer at different times of the day, he could not be with Baker at those times. And if he was only gone for an hour, sorry, then they couldn't have spent the day together. Yeah, and if he was at home when he wasn't looking for a job, as his aunt says, once again. They couldn't have spent the whole day together. And if they didn't spend the whole day together, there's no reason to believe anything else she proposes. <laughs> and what she'll say is, well, his aunt got it wrong. But. Sorry, we have evidence of what his aunt said. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we actually have a document. Yeah, so there's no reason for his aunt. Another thing, too, is there's no reason for his aunt, a person who Oswald was staying with, to lie about his normal job-seeking activities. There's no nefarious reason she could have to say that, yeah, he was around the house looking at the newspaper and he made two phone calls. Right. You know, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oswald's mother was not in New Orleans at this time, right? She was still in Texas. I don't believe so. Yeah, I think she was still in Texas. Okay. Um, Now, only a person without evidence without reliable witnesses requires others to believe in probable stories. Yes. All his proven activities use time that Baker tries to claim he spent with her. And this is only, this is the only Sunday Oswald spends with the Moret family after his arrival. So she can't try to say this is some other Sunday that she must be misremembering. This is the only Sunday he did it. That's the date she gives in her book. It doesn't work. Yeah. I mean, and that's important at least when it comes to Lillian Moritz, you know, recurrence of that day, because it was Easter Sunday, right? Um, I, I, I think it was 
it was after. It might have been the weekend. She said it was around Easter. I can't remember. Yeah. But yeah, she did give the date of it was uh if I trying to look look over what she stated. Twenty two, Mrs. Charles Moret. Yeah, sometime after Easter, sixty three, exact date not recalled, yeah. So I think it might have been the week before it was Easter. Okay, because it says um, I just googled when was Easter Sunday in 1963, and it was on April 14th. Okay, yeah. So 721st. So yeah, it must have been in the middle of the next week. Gotcha. Because they said he got there in the middle of the week. He stayed through the weekend, and then he got the place on Magazine Street. Gotcha. Yeah. So, and it's not just that. I mean, if it, you know, that's that's a lot of holes in the story, and basically disproves the claim. But her inconsistencies and claims also extend to the many people Baker asserts knowing. You know, she claims on March twenty third, nineteen sixty two, that that was the date in. Uh, is this? I believe this is yeah. Uh, David Ferry in her second book, David Ferry, she talks about the cancer bioweapon that so many have heard of, and that Dr. Ashner and she claims Dr. Mary Sherman began the project, which she claims was a Castro plot to create cancer to inject to kill Castro, basically. And the CIA was doing Castro plots at the time, but nothing like anything she claims and not with any of the people she claims. Right. So the next uh, document, uh, Baker claims – yeah, I'm sorry. We're going into – Baker states that Dr. Elton Oshner was leading a CIA project to develop a cancer bioweapon. Oshner never mentions knowing Ferry or Baker, who she claim, you know, she claims that they're both involved with him. Instead of qualified and trained personnel with access to a real laboratory and a full staff of scientists, Baker states – Ashner chose her and David Ferry to conduct medical testing and development beyond their proven abilities in Ferry's apartment lab. <laughs> yes, because all Ashner, you know, this great respected, uh, you know, egomaniac would <clears throat> would have would have, you know, let some teenage girl, you know, lead the experimentation. Yeah, a teenage girl and a guy who had been busted for multiple times for uh, um, sexual uh, adventures with young men. <laughs> That were that, underage. That's, uh, that's Dr. David Ferry to you. So. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And she calls him a doctor even though his only degree was a correspondence school bachelor degree. He was never a doctor. That he probably got from Thomas Beckham. Uh, well, <laughs> Italy is actually where he had to go. He had to go as far as Italy to get it. Oh, okay. They, <laughs> he went to the Italian doctor school. Yeah, he found some you know non-accredited mail-order university and got himself a title. <laughs> nice. Which, yeah, once again, he doesn't have any of the training, neither does she. She's a teenage girl. She's never had any of the training that would be necessary for developing a biomedical weapon. <laughs> yeah, well, I like to, this document also says that there's no information in his file whatsoever to re reflect any connection to Inca. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, of course, yeah. No, they, yeah, they say that in the one, and then, of course, in the other, it's revealed that that's not true. Because I, th I guarantee you that they were looking into one of his files that didn't have any of the Inca stuff. Because in the other file that we're going to look at, it shows that his direct connection. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, 
yeah, so the cancer bioweapon. Uh, she and David Ferry possessed no medical degrees, no proven training from an accredited college, and were recruited supposedly by Baker. She she says anyway that they were to support the CIA Castro a CIA supported Castro plot. Well, let me also interject this. <clears throat> now, you know this bio weapon in quotes is supposed to that they what do they put in a thermos or something like that. Uh, it's supposed to sur- survive a bus ride to Mexico City. Okay. Now, from this bus ride to Mexico City, took, I don't know, what, a couple of days. Uh, then he is in Mexico City and he needs to get to Cuba. So there's a lot hinging on this. And you would think that, you know, if this was the plot, that they would have just had. David Ferry fly Oswald into Cuba, you know, under the radar, drop him off on the beach somewhere and have him make his way and do all this fancy nonsense. I don't think that things would have went the way that they did allegedly. Uh, if this was the plot to kill Castro, I think it things would have, cause Mexico city is over. It's very, very far away. Um, if you're trying to get to Cuba, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, and the medical questions are almost endless, you know, uh, prove that that existed in 1960s, 1960s science is nowhere near compared to what the science is now. So how could developing and survive in a closed environment for that? Without, yeah. Without two, you'd probably require some sort of containment. You'd probably require, you know, people around it. You wouldn't want anyone to find it. It would have been a serious program that would have had some paperwork. And it wouldn't have used a 17-year-old girl, no matter how many ribbons she won at the science fair. Yeah, or a noted defector. Yeah, yeah, that was – some people claimed that he was a communist spy or that he worked for leftist groups. They wouldn't use him. But I think that, yeah, it, it gets reinforced by the evidence. So Baker's often tried to make Oshner a linchpin of this supposed CIA-supported plot. So – the thing about Oshner is his full name is Edward William Alton Oshner. Oshner was not a CIA scientist or employee. He first became a contact interest to the CIA, according to the documents, in 1947. He was cleared as a contact source in 1955. Oshner was never involved verifiably in any official sponsored bioweapon program to attack Castro. He was a contact source. He was useful for information he could gather at medical gatherings. Uh, For instance, one of the documents, uh, I believe it is, yeah, this one, uh, the document that we were talking about uh, with Ashner where it tries to say that he wasn't associated with Inca. Maybe not at that time. (laughs) But anyway, (laughs) Ashner was never involved. He was a contact source. Uh, The agency asked if Ashner attended a meeting in the International Society, uh, if he attended the International Society of Surgery meeting in Denmark that he gathered copies of circulars, provisional programs, and registration data on Soviet bloc countries in particular attending the conference. Right, and, and just one other thing i like to interject about this whole cancer soup thing. Now, when you think about it like this, okay, they, it would have required Oswald to get close enough to Castro to either inject him with this stuff or poison him with it 
you know, I think he was supposed to somehow get into his body and then through him getting sick, the x-rays would accelerate the process of the virus and eventually lead to his death. But look, Castro was surrounded by people. There's a reason he has not been killed in the last 50 years. Uh, you know, he's got very good protection, very good intelligence. And, you know, even even the CIA the plots that we know of to kill him didn't work. You know, and they weren't given to some, you know, high school dropout uh, defector to, to to do. You know, we con- we subcontracted it out to people, uh, you know, that were CIA, you know, basically mercenaries um, or like the uh, the plots that involved the mafia. You know, these are yeah. professional type people that could get this kind of thing done and get close to Castro or had the means to possibly get things close to Castro. I don't see how Lee Oswald would have been an ideal choice for this to happen. I just don't. Well, he's not. He's one of the worst choices anyone could make if they were trying to come up with a plot. Now, granted, yes. I mean, he, he, he could have pointed to, you know, look, I'm this great um, Castro supporter. You know, you see me on tel- television supporting Cuba. You know, I was handing out flyers. I'm secretary of this Fair Play for Cuba committee. You know, maybe I could, maybe he could have got an audience with, with Castro from his, uh, you know, supposed activities. But that's a stretch, a real stretch. Yeah, well, no, and even if that were possible, he would only be a propaganda material, and it's doubtful that Castro would ever let him even come near him because he could think he is a CIA plant. Right. <laughs> you know, because there were plots going on at the time that Castro eventually had verified to him that the CIA was undertaking, including trying to poison him through members of his own circle. There's no need to involve Oswald or Baker or any of these extraneous, unnecessary people. You find someone in his circle that will betray him, and you try to use them. You like Marie Brins. Yeah, yeah. You, you, there's no reason to deal with people like Oswald or Baker trying to do this. No, not at all. <laughs> so, and the evidence, I think, supports us. You know, the evidence states clearly that he was not part of any medical, you, you know, his he was an information source, like a lot of people in various positions were. And, you know, he was good for CIA propaganda eventually when he associated with Inca. So the Federal Bureau of Investigation... Um, two was alerted to Oshner when his name appeared in the Washington Daily News. Now, this is the next document. Oswald Oshner is created by the New Orleans police, credited, sorry, created by the New Orleans police as being the first man to uncover Oswald's pro-communist activities. Indeed, as Baker claims, Oshner was anti-communist. However, he sought to expose Oswald, not to use him as an unlikely clandestine mission, since she claims to have attached herself to Oswald, it's even more improbable he would use her as well. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, the CIA noted that Jim Garrison focused on Ashner as a possible suspect in the Kennedy assassination. Additionally, the CIA listed every person that it employed with the knowledge of the Castro plots, and Ashner's name is not on that list. And this list includes not just CIA, but even attorneys of CIA people who are told by their clients. Substantial verified evidence dispels these Ashner-related claims of Judith Baker. Yeah, and to reiterate this, the last official CIA contact with Dr. Ashner personally occurred on January 8th, 1962. You beat me to it. (laughs) 
Yeah, as Rob said, the final uh, our next document states that his last contact was 1962, and the last contact with his clinic was a year later. But once again, both information contacts. There was never any medical plot. He was never used for a medical purpose that's verified by evidence. There's just her claims. So Dr. Oshner is also the director of the Oshner Foundation, head of the Oshner Clinic, and president of the Information Council of America. He is a world-famous surgeon, and as we know, he was contacted in uh, 47, and in November 48, he's been a cleared source since 13 May 1955. As Rob said, the last contact with him was 62, and the last contact with his clinic on 8 November 1963. So the CIA has confirmed privately that Oshner had no contacts with them after January 8, 1962. Baker in her book claims that Oshner began his asserted plan to kill Castro March 23, 1962, months after they hadn't had a contact with him. <laughs> that is, as we say, boom, baby, right there. I mean, that's it's, it's in black and white. Black and white. The evidence supports Baker's claims are myths. Since the agency wasn't in contact with Ashner during the entire time her claim bioweapon is being developed, there's no reason to believe it happened. He would not have associated with Oswald or likely anyone that did, including Baker and David Ferry. You know, the verified evidence rejects any official project involving such a fantastic claim. Now, let me ask you a question. Is there any official CIA documentation that David Ferry was working for them or with them? No, none that I have ever come across. And, you know, I've been through tens of thousands of documents. Correct. I'm not saying it's it's not possible. Anything's possible, but I think it's highly improbable. He's he's got too many. He has he has uh, predilections, which the CIA would refer to as derogatory information. And they gather that on every prospective candidate. And if you have too much derogatory information, they don't use you. They might use you through someone else. But they won't use you or employ you because it could all come back on them what you've done. Right. So having dealt with Baker's bioweapon claims. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I'm having for lunch today, a cancer suit in my thermos bowl. (laughs) I would like to move on (laughs) uh, with her uh, again with her book, David Ferry. Uh, now, this is something that you talked about earlier, which I think is worth bringing up. On page 46, you know, because you said about the memory, how how can people, you know, remember with such clarity things from decades ago? So on page 46 of the book, David Ferry, in the end notes, it states, I'm approximating Dave's words, made easier because we hailed from the same geographical area and commonly used many of the same turns of phrase. In other words... She conjured (laughs) the comments attributed to Ferry as quotations because she believes she can recall such details later without a single verifiable source. (sighs) Unbelievable. I told you, she could be the J.K. Rowling of JFK fiction. 
Yeah. I don't understand why she needs to try to insert herself into history with no she, – she could write all the historical fiction books she wanted and probably be successful, yet she somehow tries to bang her head into history. <laughs> she could have been the next Nicholas Sparks, the female version, you know, <laughs> these great love stories and – you know, or she could have been just a, a researcher if it interests her, you know, but no, no, <laughs> we get to have the, 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 uh, this horrible child of, of, of fairy tales and, and research. Ah, uh, okay. So <laughs> again, this is not evidence. <laughs> it's magical thinking and can't be verified and useless. Yeah, there's a, there's, you know, it's, a, look, I can understand somebody maybe recalling a specific conversation with somebody, but we're talking mm -hmm. about somebody claiming to remember every day for months, several conversations per day with various people. That's just not possible. I don't care how great your memory is. That is just not possible. Well, and she says it herself in her book, in the end notes. If someone actually looks through the end notes and they see in the small print at the bottom, she says that she's she's conjuring. She's making up stuff and attributing it as quotation to David Ferry because they spoke similarly in her opinion. And they That's ridiculous. The same geographical area. That's So what? <laughs> that'd, be like, that'd be like one of us <laughs> saying that, you know, that we knew what the other person was thinking because we were born close to where they were born. That's just retarded. It, well, yeah, it's, it's magical thinking. It's got absolutely nothing to do with reality. You cannot, you know, two people that came from the same place. How about, you know, I'm sure if we looked, we could find a city where uh, the one person was, you know, a great philanthropist and helped people their whole life. And the other was a serial killer. <laughs> Yeah, geographical location does not dictate what your personality is. You know what would be more believable than that, Carmine? Huh? Is if she claimed to be a medium and channeled David Ferry's spirit, and he spoke to her. That would be more believable to me <laughs> than what she just said. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I suppose at least, yeah, she could try to defend herself with pseudo-religious stuff then, <laughs> rather oh than gosh, trying to say it's evidence when it clearly is not. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that one, yeah, that one kills me because it's just really, you know, I mean, and like you said, a, a few conversations is fine. You know, if you had a few dramatic conversations and you can remember snippets here and there, I'll believe that's possible. That's, that's not outside their own possibility. But yeah, like you said, months and days, you know, specific conversations day by day. No. And then, and then for her to say that she just conjures them. <laughs> They talk similarly. Uh, okay. So, yeah, you've got um, – uh, where are we? So, yeah, that, that kind of threw me where off. The, so the, the fairy notation from the book. Okay. Yeah, so the fairy notation. And, yeah, we went through the cast – like uh, to uh, just hit the Castro plots list again so people know some of the people that were listed where Ashner was not. Alan Dulles, Richard Bissell, J.C. Colonel J.C. King, Colonel Sheffield Edwards. Uh, we know that uh, through associating with the associations with the mafia, Johnny Roselli, William Harvey, J and James P. O'Connell, Robert Mayhew, and his attorneys, Edward Morgan and Edward Bennett Williams. Ashner never appears. So 
for all of the claims we have thus far discussed, there is no evidence. In fact, the evidence contradicts her claims and puts holes in them that can't be fixed by any further claims. <laughs> you can't go back and change history. You can try, but eventually, usually the evidence will come out and show that you're wrong. So uh, we've gone over, yeah, her, so, and also, you know, the citations thing that we talked about on the screenshot, personal notes. The, so that, that I think basically blows most of the citations in her first book out of the water as well. So now both books are being – there are conjured things called – that she calls facts, which are not verifiable. So they're not facts. Yeah, like you pointed out, personal notes are not evidence of anything. Yeah. <clears throat> we can all claim whatever – you know, people in memoirs, they claim all sorts of crazy things. But none of those things are proven unless there's some sort of you know reliable witnesses that support it or there's some sort of evidence we can put our hands on and read. Yeah, well, like I said in the last show, you know, look, me or Carmine could come up with some fantastical story to somehow attach ourselves to, to evidence in the Kennedy assassination. And, you know, I use the example of finding something in my grandfather's attic. You know, we could, we can make up any kind of story, you know, that we stumbled across something, you know, somebody sent us something, somebody told us something. And without any proof or evidence to back it up, it's just a story. Just a story. And if we would never do that, I don't think, I don't think no matter under any circumstances we would do that, but people do, unfortunately, and they want attention and they want sympathy and they want to insert themselves into history and they're willing to do almost anything to do it, including trying to attack credible people who offer evidence. Yeah, You know, it, it just shows a blatant bias and it shows that they don't have the disposition to be involved in real research because they're always going to let their emotions decide what their research outcome is. Yep. And a credible person like that would not, would not feel persecuted or attacked by researchers if, you know, they were just being asked questions and asked to provide evidence of what they're saying. Mm-hmm. You know, when you know her claims are that, that all this stuff has happened, yet she somehow lost all this evidence over time and all these witnesses that could have put her there and various places are now passed away. So that's kind of impossible. And so we're, we're just left with the notion that we just need to believe her. And that's good enough for some people, as we can see from her followers. But it's not good enough for researchers, of which there are no credible ones that believe her story. Not just us. It's, I mean, you can go down the list of names of, of great researchers throughout the years that don't believe a word she says. And there's a reason for that. Yeah, it's, it, there's just she doesn't have any body of evidence. All she has is the cobbled together claims that she's made over the years, which have evolved, too. You can see... If you if you look into deeper into some of the conversations that her followers or she might have had on the various forums or various social media, you can see how her, her claims change and they evolve over time. She adds things and subtracts things and probably forgets things because you can only tell so many stories and keep them all straight. Yeah, you know, it's just I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just saying, you know, it's it's. Lots of people, not just us, not just today with these documents, but 
over the years have refuted a lot of her claims that involve people like Carrie Thornley, Eric Rogers, uh, Reverend Jim, and what they were doing there, and and other things, you know, who she was, she was associating, with, associating with and where she was at certain times has been debunked by various folks over the years. And this is just icing on the cake is what we're talking about today. And quite frankly, this show probably never would have came about um, unless what happened last week happened. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, no, she, she asked for this. Yeah. She, 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 <laughs> she wanted some I attention. Am. So yeah, she wanted some attention and we've given her the kind she probably didn't want, which is reasonable evidentiary attention to show that her claims are myths. Yeah, because we can get on here all day and say what a horrible person she is and, and Yeah, I don't care about her you know, as a call person. Call her a liar. First, yeah. This, that, and the other, but here is actual documentary proof in the official record that what she says is false. It's not proven in any way. And she has had over a decade, probably decades, to produce something, and she hasn't. And she won't. You know, there's... And she can't. The, yeah. <laughs> and no matter how many... I mean, because occasionally you'll see some of our followers trying to use, you know, some other piece of debunked evidence that most of us have thrown away years ago, trying to say that it's, you know, some new various key to the case, which it isn't. But that's the best that they ever offer. They don't ever go in and find something of use, maybe something new that could help us in the case. So they're just spinning their wheels. And when you don't uh, want to spin the wheels, you get attacked. But I think that I think most people have woken up to the fact of what they are, how they operate and that they don't have any proof. Yeah. But there's still more people to reach because obviously her conference is sold out. She has thousands of followers on Facebook who hang on her every word and do whatever she says. Um, you know, like with her post, it was attacking me, you know, hey, hurry up and share this, photocopy it, uh, copy and paste it everywhere you can before Facebook removes it because she's under persecution from Facebook and this, that, and the other. She's being exactly for her, which truth. is another ridiculous thing. Yeah. You know, some of the other, maybe if, maybe if we ever do a screenshot show, we can go through all the people she claims that persecute her and companies that persecute her. Yeah. Which is ridiculous. Yeah. And then we can do a screenshot of everybody she's attacked. <laughs> and uh, be a big picture, <laughs> yeah, and and belittled and belittled, and uh, you know, her just like her followers that all they're going to say in response to this episode is we're paid disinformation. Um, no, we're not getting paid for this. We're doing this for the benefit of the research community as a whole. And yeah, to unmuddy the waters that she has muddied by stomping her size nine shoes all through the research community. You know, it's, it's, it's a big deal what she's claiming. It's a big deal. It would totally rewrite history, totally rewrite everything that anybody's ever looked into the, into the case. If her story is true. Okay. It would totally rewrite everything, but it doesn't. No, there's, a ton of problems with it. We've pointed out a few here today. There's been way more pointed out in the past and there will be more pointed out in the future for sure. And that's what they can expect is that every time they try to do this, we'll get together in the community and debunk more of it until one day, if they don't learn, it's all going to be debunked. 
there won't be any more holes for her to go hide in and try to insert herself into this case. No, and that's that's the end game, at least for people like us who want to get to the truth of the Kennedy assassination. Yeah, and you know, that's the that's the sad and the angering thing is that they're preventing. They like officials in some cases are seeking to prevent us from actually getting to the real evidence to the the what truth we can get. Yeah, I mean just look at her conference lineup. I mean, I could count on one maybe two fingers <laughs> the amount of credible speakers that she has at her conference. One is Abraham Bolden. Okay, that's it. And he's not even putting any other story other than his, his, his own story out there. He's not supporting any theory other than, you know, his story, which we can verify. He was a Secret Service agent. He was one of the first black Secret Service agents for Kennedy. Um, as far as his claims, again, we can't back them up because there is no proof. But, you know, this is his personal story. Now you go looking through the rest of them. You got people like Roger Stone, Phil Nelson, Richard Bartholomew, all these folks purporting the LBJ did it theory. And then you got the, the whole Fetzer Oswald innocence campaign crew coming through with Oswald in the doorway and Billy Lovelady over here and there. And, you know, you got Douglas Caddy with the aliens and, and it's just, you know, you're bringing in uh, George Norrie and John B. Wells and, you know, Oliver Stone's kid, Jesse, ben, I mean, it, it, it's a sideshow. It's a circus sideshow. It's, it's for your entertainment only people, you know, and this, that is what she's left <laughs> if, with at this it, point. If you're easily entertained. <laughs> yeah. If you'd like to turn your brain off for a little while and sit there with a smile on your face and, <laughs> um, you know, this is no, there is no critical thought and analysis going into that conference over there. And I just don't get it, man. I don't get it. And yeah, it's, well, it's unfortunate. I think, you know, it just shows the schism. And unfortunately, there's even other little smaller schisms in various groups, but that's the big schism that we face is that there are people over there who say, that they care about the case, they say they want the truth to come out, but it has to be their version. And right. that's just that that's something that those of us who rely on evidence can never accept and should never accept. You know, right. that it we have to use our analytical minds. We have to be logical and reasonable. We have to look at both sides, not just automatically assume that one is right or not. And there's going to be mistakes. It's an investigatory process. In every investigation there's mistakes. You know, new stuff's going to come out, evidence that we don't anticipate, and we have to be willing to accept it. If we just say, no, this is it, I have the answer, and I'm right and everyone else is wrong, you're just doing exactly what she does. Well said, sir. Well said. Carmine, tell everybody where they can find all your stuff, my friend. Uh, you can find my stuff on tpaak.com, T-P-A-A-K.com, and you please can, all if you'd like, go to visit the Neapolis Media Group, N-E-A-M-G.com. Some of my stuff's there, uh, some of Rob's stuff's there, and Best of the Lone Gunman, uh, Best of the Ocelli Effect. We have historians and researchers, too, all worth a look. Some of their articles are there. Uh, Michael Swanson from The War State, Trish and Zach Gendro, uh, Matthew Shuffley. Uh, you know, it's... I'm I'm very proud of what all of us have been able, you know, with 
with basically volunteering in our time and, you know, doing, you know, writing books and trying to do everything we can to get the case forward. And I'm happy that there are people from both sides of the case with us. You know, I'm happy that we use evidence and we're actually trying to help the public. We actually want to see this case come to a close one day, not just try to use it as a source of enrichment. That's right. That's right. And that's all we can do. So look, people, for more, head over to tlgpodcast.com. I'm going to post a list of documents that we talked about here today so that you can go read them for yourself and see for yourself that, uh, you know, a lot of Judith Baker's claims that she makes are just simply cannot be true. And I will post uh, some screenshots of, of what she said in public um, that probably aren't there anymore. <laughs> um, and, and look, and me and Karma, I got some exciting news coming up. We're going to be giving away a copy of Two Princes and a King to a lucky listener of this show. We haven't quite figured out how we're going to do that yet, but we're going to come up with something... <laughs> with something cool so be on the lookout for that in a future episode you know we're gonna get together and figure out the best way to do this um so keep that in mind folks and uh carmine thank you so much for coming on the show my friend thank you for having me on rob all righty that's it people the sun bitches in the can beamed up to the satellite down directly to your ears people this is your boy peace right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only. At Farmers Insurance, we know every windshield collision has a unique sound. Beetle. Bird poop. Drone. Seen it? Covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state.